Hello, and welcome to the October edition of the FIESG 5 and 5 podcast. I'm Doug Shelton from Now West Markets Climate and ESG Capital Markets Team, and I'm really excited to be speaking to you today about some of the key trends we are seeing in the issuance of sustainability-linked bonds by financial institutions. The first topic I'll talk to you today is the novel sustainability-linked loan funding bond, which was recently pioneered by Nordea. This summer, Nordea published the first ever sustainability-linked loan funding framework, designed to allow investors to indirectly support some of Nordea's corporate customers who have included ambitious sustainability goals in their bank financing facilities. Inspired by the ICMA Green Bond Principles and the LMA Sustainability-Linked Loan Principles, although not claiming alignment, Nordea's framework has the shape and feel of a traditional green bond framework, but instead of financing specific green assets, the proceeds will be used to refinance a portfolio of eligible SLLs. The eligible loans are required to meet three criteria. They need to be aligned with the sustainability-linked loan principles. They need to make a positive contribution to at least one impact objective, in the case of the first issuance, climate change mitigation. And they must have KPIs and SPTs that are assessed as material and ambitious by an external reviewer, in this case, ISS ESG. The last step is a key differentiator for Nadea's framework and offers increased transparency on the sustainability quality of the underlying SLLs. ISS ESG developed a tailor-made methodology for assessing each of the five selected underlying loans. These mini-SPOs were published as part of the external review. Nodea's inaugural SLL funding transaction saw strong interest from financial institutions and, according to Nordea, it was positively received by the investor community. While groundbreaking in nature, there are some shortcomings to the structure that are worth noting, including confidentiality constraints, which prevented Nordea from disclosing the actual sustainability targets of each SLL, and reduced transparency when it comes to impact reporting, something that ESG investors feel very strongly about. It'll be interesting to see if any other financial institutions follow suit, or instead wait for Nordea to test out this structure in the broader European debt capital market. The second topic, which in some ways paved the way for Nordea's concept, is sustainability relink bonds, or SRLBs. In the fourth quarter of 2021, Bank of China's London branch issued its inaugural SRLB, and the first of its kind globally. While similar to Nordea, Bank of China provided details on the underlying loans, including the sector, country, KPIs, and margin adjustment, the external review from EY did not include an assessment of the sustainability qualities of the SLLs, a key differentiator for Nordea's framework. The kicker for Bank of China, though, is that their bond includes a coupon step-up and step-down based on the underlying borrower's performance against their sustainability targets, effectively meaning the bank participates in the sustainability achievements of the selected borrowers. By having skin in the game, there is a material incentive for the Bank of China to support its customers in meeting their sustainability targets. Nevertheless, there are complex data issues and measurement requirements for SRLBs. For example, calculating the daily effective size of each loan and the coupon adjustment mechanism also means that these instruments will not appeal to the many European issuers with an EMRA requirement, something Nordea explicitly sought to avoid with its SLL funding bonds. Perhaps the next generation of SRLBs will include the best of both worlds. The third topic I would like to introduce is something that is yet to be tested, sustainability-linked covered bonds. Given the EBA's view that step-ups or fees for missing ESG targets or other sustainability performance indicators may be considered incentives to redeem and should not be allowed for regulatory capital and eligible liabilities issued by banks, some financial institutions are weighing up the benefits and considerations of sustainability-linked covered bonds. For example, a bank could issue an SLB tied to the energy performance of its residential mortgage portfolio, 
based on the average EPC composition of its loan book. This structure could help overcome some of the key challenges for financial institutions interested in SLBs, including issues around the measurement of finance emissions and emerald or capital eligibility constraints. Another benefit of such an issuance would be to preserve eligible green assets for senior or subordinated bonds, where the financial benefit, that is the greenium, is often greater. On the other hand, potential drawbacks to this structure include investor issues with SPPI classification of SLBs and a continued preference from some SFTR Article 9 funds for use of proceeds bonds. Pivoting away from the banks, another segment within the broader fig space where we could see new entrants to the SLB market is in insurance. While many insurers have issued green social and sustainability bonds so far, no insurer has issued an SLB. With that said, a number of insurers are adopting sustainability-linked loans. For example, Generali, Prudential, and QBE have all signed SLLs. And this could facilitate issuance of SLBs in the future, as companies can often leverage the KPIs from their loan facilities in the bond market. So why haven't we seen any SLB issuance from insurers? There are some key constraints for insurers when it comes to SLBs. For example, many insurers are still in the process of capturing the data that may be required for, credit, for a credible SLB issuance such as scope three, category 15 emissions, that is finance emissions from investments and underwriting activity. Furthermore, it is likely that SLBs would only work for senior instruments for European insurers, where there is typically less need for funding. This is because one, for issuers rated by S&P, S&P does not currently allow sustainability-linked hybrids to receive equity credit. And two, a tier two instrument for own funds could not include a step up until after year 10. That just about wraps it up. Thanks for listening to this month's FIESG 5 and 5. If you liked this episode, please follow the channel and click the notification bell so you can get future episodes as soon as they are released.